Uh, we are continuing verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark. Um, we are going into the series. We've been in it about a month now. We'll be in it for probably another year and a half or so, um, taking, taking some breaks along the way, of course. But uh, we are looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus. As Jesus uh, walked the earth for the three years, we would kind of get this uh, three years of ministry uh, that we see. And so that's what we're looking at through the gospel of Mark, through um, the book of Mark, if you will. And today's text, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. And so you can either scroll there or flip there or whatever uh, you want to do. It'll also be up behind me on the Sky Bible. Um, and so uh, we're going to see that, um, that this week uh, our text is actually taking place on the same day as the text, text that we looked at last week. And so uh, it's a continuation of the same day. So I want us to recap what did we talk about last week. Well, last week, Jesus, along with four of his disciples, his first four disciples, that's Simon, who is Peter. Um, so his name, Simon Peter, that's interchangeable today, okay? Uh, Simon and his brother, Andrew, and then another set of brothers, James and John. These four disciples are with Jesus on the Sabbath day, and they are going into a Sabbath day service at the synagogue. I'll say that five times fast. Um, <laughs> And so they go on the Sabbath morning, they go to this service where they would worship, where they would teach, where they would have a time of prayer. And on this day, Jesus is actually teaching. So he is teaching the words um, of God. And it tells us in the text that people were amazed at the way that he taught because he taught as one with authority, right? He taught differently than the scribes or even differently than the Pharisees. Jesus taught as one where it sounded like he had boldness and he had a truth that the scribes didn't actually know, but they were just uh, reteaching what they had been taught. But Jesus taught as one who knew the truth, who knew the actual um, words that he was speaking. And it's because he is the truth. He was God. And not only did he show his authority in the way that he taught, but it says that he showed his authority as he cast a demon out of a man. Right, that's a pretty big deal. Um, I don't know what's going to happen today at church. I would be a little surprised if we saw that, okay? Uh, but Jesus cast a demon out of a man, and he showed his authority, right? We're getting this kind of theme of Jesus gaining authority, or showing his authority and gaining fame. So on that synagogue day, on that Sabbath day, Jesus, it tells us that his fame was growing, that the name of Jesus was spreading throughout the area of Galilee. You can imagine that at the synagogue, people are going around saying, hey, did you see what just happened? Did you listen to that Jesus guy? Did you see him cast the demon out of that man? Right? And so as this fame is building, that's where we pick up in our text today in verse 29. So let's go ahead and look at that. We're going to work our way through the text and then point out a couple key things. Verse 29, and immediately he, being Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So Jesus, along with the disciples, um, they, uh, Jesus is beginning to gain some fame. He's beginning to gain some followers. Uh, he is uh, getting a little more popular in the town of Capernaum, where they are. But he leaves immediately, and they go to the house of Simon, who is Peter, and his brother Andrew. Um, a lot of times... 
in this culture, in this time, uh, families, extended families would live together, not necessarily in the same house, but in the same kind of compound, if you will. So there'd be multiple houses surrounding a courtyard. In the courtyard, they would live life together. They would spend time together. But then these families would live in these individual houses. And so um, Simon and Andrew lived together there. And uh, on this day, they leave the synagogue, right? Many of you do this same thing. You leave church, you go home, and you spend the rest of your Sabbath day hanging out with family, eating a meal is probably pretty important, and then taking a nap, right? Some of you are already trying to take your nap, and that's, it's rude, personally, um, but, you know, I get it. Um, Wait till after synagogue for that. Um, And so Jesus and the disciples, they go to Peter and Andrew's home, and they show up there. It's the custom. They would have a meal. They would hang out as a family together. What happens? Let's look in verse 30. Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. So a couple things stand out here. First, Simon, who is Peter, had a family, right? He was married. Um, Early church uh, historians and scholars actually believe that he had at least one child as well, but that's not in the New Testament scripture, so we don't know if that's factual or not, but he was definitely married. He had responsibilities. He had a wife to take care of. He had a mother-in-law who lived with him, so we know that it was his responsibility to take care of her as well. I think a lot of times, maybe this is just me, but, but we can think of the disciples as being these teenage young men who have no responsibilities. They're just kind of adventurous. They're just kind of floating in the wind. And so when Jesus approaches them, they're like, yeah, I'll follow you. I don't have anything to worry about, right? But no, Peter has a family. Peter has responsibilities. Peter had a career, and he still followed Jesus, right? And he didn't abandon all of those things. But when Peter followed Jesus, he was trusting that not only is Jesus going to take care of him and his needs, but also for the needs of his family. So this is just extra. This isn't really part of the message today, but I think it's important for us to realize, men in this room especially, if you are providing for your family, if you have work, you have stress, and you have things that are on your shoulders, and you feel like going and living on mission for Jesus is something that people without responsibilities do, uh, we can challenge that here. And we can see that Peter and probably many of the other disciples had families And they trusted Jesus, and they trusted that Jesus was going to provide for every single one of his needs. All right, the second point, the main thing that we see in this scripture uh, in verse 30 is that Peter's mother-in-law was laying ill with a fever. We know that she was sick, uh, she was uh, bedridden, she couldn't do the things that she would normally do, and part of her duties would have been to prepare this Sabbath day meal for her family, but especially if she has guests visiting her home, it would have been important for her to prepare this meal, to uh, wait on and to care for the people that are coming to her home, but she is laying in bed. And we know that for a mom to be laying in bed, not caring for the family, not taking care of the meal, she had to be really, really sick, right? Dad's in here, would have been like, it's 99.2, babe, I got to go lay down and watch the game. (laughs) Right? You wouldn't have eaten, you would have had pizza for three days, right? Uh, but what we see is that Peter's mother-in-law is laying there, and she is sick, and we know that she's probably um, not doing well. And this time, fever was a lot more dramatic than what a fever would be now. And so uh, this could have been life-threatening, we, we don't know, but she is at least 
bedridden in this moment. And what does Peter do? He immediately brings this to the attention of Jesus. There's another joke here about mother-in-laws and, hey, son-in-laws, would you have actually brought Jesus to your mother-in-law? <laughs> or would you have just let her stay in that back room quiet, sleeping all day? Um, but Peter, Peter saw the need and Peter said, hey, Jesus, my mother-in-law is sick. She has a fever. She's ill. Can you please come to her? And what does Jesus do? Verse 31, he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them, right? We see that Jesus shows his authority again. Throughout Mark already, we have seen Jesus show his authority at his baptism. When the heavens open up, God speaks about his son, the spirit of God descended on Jesus like a dove, right? That shows different authority than all these other guys getting baptized on that same day, right? We see the authority of Jesus in the way that he taught in the synagogue, we see the authority of Jesus in the way that he cast a demon out of a man and freed that man who was oppressed. And here we see the same authority of Jesus, but this time over sickness, over illness, over disease, right? And so we see that Jesus simply grabs her hand and the fever leaves her. When Jesus heals, it is a 100% healing, right? There's no lingering effects Jesus didn't say, take another day or two to just relax and get over it. What does she do? She immediately pops up and begins to serve those who are in her house. She begins to serve Jesus, right? And this is who Jesus is, right? Jesus is a servant to all. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus descended from his heavenly throne and came and became a servant to all, right? And he calls us as Christians to serve others as well. Saved people serve people. Healed people help people. And that is what we see from Peter's mother-in-law, not out of obligation, but because of a joy of what had just taken place for her, for a joy of what was just done for her. She served Jesus. She served those in her house. So another thing we see in verse 31 is that Jesus just got done with this very public display, this public showing of his power and authority. He came from the synagogue where there were hundreds of people there to see what he did for that man with the demon. And what does he do here? He shows the same amount of power and authority, but he does it in this private, intimate setting with no crowds, with no people who are going to uh, be added to his following, no gain of fame. So Jesus in the public and in the private, serves and takes the opportunity to heal those who are in need. Right? That shows a little bit of the heart of Jesus. He doesn't take a break from ministering to those who are hurting. Okay, verse 32 and 33. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. All right, so this is a crazy scene. Uh, once it was sundown, we know that that is a, a new day um, for the Jewish tradition. Their day would begin at sundown. So uh, the Sabbath would have been Friday night to Saturday night. And so once stars started coming up in the sky, uh, it would have been uh, Sunday, technically. So it's no longer the Sabbath for them. And all these people who were hurting, who were sick, who needed um, to get well, all these people who had demon possessions rushed to Peter's and Andrew's house. 
They rush to see Jesus, to bring their sick, to bring the ill, to bring the demon-possessed. I just imagine that there are probably some people who are like, who, who, who's possessed? Who's possessed by a demon? we got to find them so that we can take them to Jesus and see Jesus do his thing, right? And then this guy's like, I'm just kind of weird. I'm not demon-possessed, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but we, we see that they are gathering all these people, many of them to be healed, and many of them, I'm, like I said, I'm sure they just want to see Jesus at work. They want to see, they, they heard about what Jesus did at synagogue, and now they want to see it with their own eyes. So they are bringing the sick. They are bringing the demon possessed. Can you imagine the scene? Hundreds of people just waiting around on the Sabbath afternoon for the sun to go down so that they could leave their homes and take them to Jesus. Right? I think of our trip to Nicaragua that we had last month, and uh, I just think about uh, these people who traveled from these villages, these surrounding villages, and we just saw them by the hundreds flock to this medical and dental clinic that we were a part of, right? They would wait around for hours. They would wait in line for hours with the sole purpose of being able to be seen by a doctor so that they could find help. They are coming from their homes. They are coming out with the hope of being healed. And that's what these people are doing with Jesus. Verse 34, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So Jesus spent the entire night or most of that night um, healing the sick, casting out demons from those who were oppressed. And what does it say? It says he would not allow the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Right? I think this is kind of a, a strange verse. Um, but Jesus did the same thing at the synagogue, right? As the demon-possessed man spoke up, he said, Son of God, what would you have to do with us, right? And Jesus tells him basically to, to shut up. Jesus says, be quiet, do not talk. Why did he tell him to be quiet? Jesus, he just called you the Son of God. Jesus, he just declared that you are the Messiah. Isn't that what you want people to know? Well, we don't know exactly why Jesus didn't want the demons to, to say who he was. We have a couple ideas, one being that, uh, that maybe it's because he didn't want the truth of who he was to come from a demon itself, because he didn't want the truth to come just from the fact of who Jesus is. He wanted it to come from a place of faith and people honoring who he was. Maybe that's one of the reasons. Maybe he just didn't want people to know who he was quite yet. Uh, but Alex is going to kind of be talking about that more next week, so I won't dive too deep into it. But either way, we see that Jesus stayed up late into the night, healing the sick, casting out the demons, freeing those who were oppressed, bringing liberation to the lives of these people in different ways. So I imagine in this town of Capernaum, this small town of a couple thousand people, um, I imagine that that night it was like they won the Super Bowl. I imagine the streets were filled with laughter and joy and running and jumping and kids just being so excited and people crying because they were just overfilled, overflowing with excitement and joy. I imagine the people were leaving Peter and Andrew's house just ecstatic, right? They showed up expecting Jesus to do some awesome things, and Jesus delivered. Jesus healed. Jesus cast out demons. Right? Jesus made it here completely clear 
that he has authority, that he has authority over the demonic, that he has also authority over our bodies, over sickness, over disease. And this now wasn't just a one-time thing, but Jesus transformed an entire city with his hands. Jesus transformed the town of Capernaum and eradicating disease, eradicating illness, eradicating sickness in this town. That's incredible. And he did it all in one night. And so um, now that we've kind of read the text, now that we have an understanding of what took place on this day and in this night, I want us to highlight a couple of things. The first one is that Jesus restores what is broken. Jesus brings restoration to things that are broken in this world, right? We can look at the miracles of Jesus, right? We can look at this story and be like, man, that's awesome. Jesus is so cool. Like Jesus healed all these people. Jesus cast out these demons. That's so supernatural. And while that is true, it is supernatural. It is beyond our abilities to do, right? We can pray to God. We can petition with God that he would heal people now, and he still does heal people but it's outside of our control. It's outside of our natural abilities. And so while it is supernatural for Jesus to do these things, in reality, he is just restoring nature to how it is supposed to be. He is restoring things to the way that he originally created it. Right? Our world was not originally created with illness or disease or evil or death. But when sin entered the world, when sin entered through Adam and Eve, the, uh, our cosmos, our universe was fractured in that moment. And so everything in our world from that time on is broken. It is not right. This is not the way that our world is supposed to be. People can ask all the time, why do so many bad things happen? Well, it's because of sin. It's because our world is not as it should be. And so Jesus, in his ministry, in his earthly ministry, I should say, spent his life making things right. He was restoring things spiritually. He was restoring things emotionally, physically, naturally. And as we see with Peter's mother-in-law, as we see with the people in this town of Capernaum, he can restore us. He can restore things that are broken in our lives. So I don't, I don't know. I would imagine that right now every single person in here has some sort of situation that they think is broken, that it's not right, that they just can't get over it. Maybe you've just chalked it up to, hey, that's life, whatever. We'll just deal with it. But those things with Jesus can be restored. They can be made right. We should go to him. He has the authority over demons, over disease, over sickness. Your problems are not too big for him. And guess what? They're not too small for him. We should go to Jesus with things that are broken, our marriages, our addictions, our sinfulness, our health, our relationship struggles, our job, our financial crisis that we may be in. We should take those things to Jesus because he and only he has the ability to step in and change them. And so we need to go to him. The Old Testament, the prophets talked a lot about what the Messiah was going to be like. They talked about what this coming Savior of the world was going to be like. And in the Old Testament, the more they talked about him, the more and more we saw that he was going to come to bring the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God here on earth. So I think Alex talked about this a couple weeks ago. 
right? Jesus, in his ministry, what did he do? He set up little camps of heaven everywhere that he went. He was restoring things back to how they should be, that it's broken here, so I'm going to go and I'm going to fix that broken situation. I'm going to heal this broken person. I am going to step in and make things as they should be in heaven in this place. Jesus' ministry was all about healing, restoration. It was about um, renewal. It was about reconciliation. And we thank him that he does heal, right? We have an awesome Jesus, an awesome Savior who heals people's lives. He heals physically, spiritually, emotionally, physically. But on this night, everything that we see, all of these healings were temporary at best. All of these healings that took place, as awesome as they are, aren't the biggest need for restoration. The biggest need for restoration in our world is the healing of our spirit. It's the healing of our hearts. It's the gospel. It's that Jesus's ultimate goal was to fix the broken relationship that we have with the Father. That our relationship with God is broken because of our sin, because of our um, rebellion against him, right? That we were born as sinners, right? We are naturally sinners, The world may tell you that we are naturally born good and then sin enters our lives. That's not true. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are born as sinners. We are born with a broken relationship from God. But through Jesus, through what Christ has done for us, that relationship has been restored. And not only has Jesus healed and restored that relationship with God, but Jesus also restores our broken hearts. Jesus restores the sinfulness in our life. It's something we call in the church sanctification, that over time, the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you fill yourself with Christ, the more you will begin to look like Christ. The more you're not going to be how you used to be, but you're going to look a little bit more like Jesus every single day. Right? Jesus restores what is broken. He did it on that night in Capernaum, and he can do it in our lives. Our next point, Jesus has a heart to heal. Verse, or point two, Jesus has a heart to heal. So we just talked about the fact that Jesus does heal. We talked about the fact that he does work miracles, and maybe you're sitting there and you're like, duh. That's like the one thing we know about Jesus, that he does healings, he does miracles. Um, But not only does he heal, but it is his very heart and desire to do so. It is Jesus' heart and desire to heal things that are broken, to restore things that are messed up. All right, so what happens in this story? He goes into Peter's home. He goes into Andrew's home. Possibly he's expecting a meal, right? He had a long morning. Um, He preached. He taught for a long time. He healed or he cast out a demon. He's probably tired. As we talked about, he, maybe he's expecting a meal. Maybe he's expecting a nap. He wants to relax a little bit on this Sabbath. And what does he walk into? Not a meal, but a sick mother-in-law. And how does Jesus respond? Jesus goes to her. He kneels over her. He grabs her hand and lifts her up. Right? Jesus is Jesus. He could have healed her in any way. He could have snapped his fingers from the living room. He could have said, get up and make my meal. He could have said, done whatever he wanted, and she would have been healed. But Jesus shows his compassion. He showed it in the way that he bent 
over her. He grabbed her hand. He lifted her up. He was sympathetic with her in her hurting. And then later that night, I mean, Jesus is probably tired. Maybe he wants to go to sleep. And what happens? The whole town gathers at his door. Right? That's probably a little bit of hyperbole in Mark's writing. It probably wasn't every single person in the town, but you get the picture. It was the entire town. Like everybody was coming to get healed by Jesus. So Jesus, what does he do? He doesn't send them away. Jesus heals and casts demons out of every single one that has a need. We see the heart of our Jesus. And when I read stories like this, I'm always amazed at what Jesus does, right? I was like, man, that's so cool that he did that. That's so cool that Jesus had the power to just cast out sickness, to cast out demons, to just change people's entire lives, that he can heal people who have never been able to walk, who can never see, and he can just, like that, make them see. I'm always amazed by it, but there's always this underlying thought, this underlying idea that I have that Jesus is somehow just put off by it. There's this thought that I have that Jesus is just slightly annoyed that he is healing because he's Jesus and that what he, that's what he does. Like, he is good. He has to heal. He has to help people. But I have this thought that he's just kind of doing it reluctantly, that he just kind of wishes that we would get our act together. And church, listen this morning, that could not be farther from the truth. Jesus is not put out. Jesus is not annoyed by us going to him. I listened to an audio book recently um, it's by Dane Ortland. Uh, it's called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart for Christ, Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Gentle and Lowly, the entire premise of this book is that Christ himself is gentle with us. That he is lowly, that he gets down on our level. That Jesus is accessible it's not difficult to get to him, and he is a friend to those who are in need. The whole idea comes from a verse in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, and Jesus is speaking here, and he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus invites us to draw near to him. Jesus calls us and asks us. He says, hey, if you are lowly, if you are hurting, if you are sinful, if you are in need of my grace, come to me. I welcome you. I want to give you these things that I offer. He's not ho-hum with you. He's not like rolling his eyes like, oh, he's back again. He sinned again. He did that same thing again. He just can't get over the hump here. That's not Jesus. You see, Christ's heart, Christ's joy is filled when us lowly sinners draw near to him. Do you hear that? Christ's joy is filled when you go to him in need. 
When you go to him and you feel like you just messed up again, when you go to him and you feel like, I can't fix this situation, I just have to go to God, sorry, Jesus, I don't want to bother you, but here I am again, his joy is filled. That is his desire. That is his heart for you. He welcomes us. And so that night when Jesus may have been exhausted in his humanity, he was overjoyed in the fact that he was able to heal and to love and care for those in need. He was overjoyed in the fact that he was able to cast out demons of the oppressed so that they could experience freedom in their lives. And he was fired up about it. That's what Jesus does. That's what he came to do. That is his beautiful heart. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of the Father. And so just like the people in Capernaum on that night, we are to come to Jesus in our neediness. We should be excited, waiting until it is nighttime, waiting until it's no longer the Sabbath so that we could run to Jesus, even though Jesus makes it very clear you can still come to him on the Sabbath with our brokenness, with our sin, with our guilt, with our depression, anxiety, with our fears. He welcomes us gladly. And there is no shame in the presence of Jesus. You don't have to hide from him with your messed up self. There's no shame. There's no guilt in his presence. He is gentle. He is not harsh. He is not mean. He is not put off by you. That also means that there's no reason that you need to try to clean yourself up before you come before Jesus. There's no reason that you need to try to fix yourself before you come to church. Like the church, hey, Asante Church, we're a hospital. We are all messed up. And some of you may be nurses and doctors in here, but not spiritually, you're not. We are all messed up and broken, and this is a place for the broken. This is a hospital for sinners where we can come before Jesus and we can have our needs met. We can be healed. We can be made new. We can be made right only through what Jesus has done for us, and it is his heart to do so. And so, if Jesus has the ability to restore what is broken, if he has the ability to heal, to work these miracles, and it is his heart and it is his desire to do so, I have two questions for you. Do you go towards Christ or away from him with your brokenness? When you've sinned, when you've done that thing you said you're no longer going to do, when you keep falling into that pattern that you swore you were never going to do again, when you slip up and you get angry at your spouse, when you said, I'm not going to do that anymore, I'm going to be a new person, when your depression and anxiety is overwhelming and you feel like you're no longer yourself and you just feel broken and something's not right inside of you, do you hide from Jesus or do you go to him? when you feel like you're not good enough to be at church today because of the life that you have lived, do you go to Jesus or away from him? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
whether it's your sins, your anxiety, your depression, your just everyday struggles in this life that all of us have, he welcomes you. And what does he do? He offers us rest. He offers us peace. He offers us healing. He offers us um, just renewal and restoration. He delights in the fact that he gets to do it. We can think of Jesus as kind of this cup of holiness, right? Jesus just, he's this cup and he's full of holiness and he's full of goodness. And every time we as sinners need to go to him and he's full of grace and every time we need to go draw from that grace, we are taking something out of his cup. We are taking things away from him that he is um, having to become less because of what we are asking of him. But Jesus is grace. Jesus is love. So that means that he is overflowing with it. And so when we go to him, we are just giving into what he naturally does. He is overflowing with grace, overflowing with love, overflowing with healing, overflowing with these miracles that he can do in your life. He's not put out by you. He's not put out by me. He delights in the fact that he gets to meet us lowly sinners right where we are. Second question, do you bring others to Christ so they can be healed? Eek. That one's hard. Earlier I said saved people serve people, healed people help people. If you're a believer, what better way can you serve and help others in your life, in your community, in your neighborhood, at your job, than to bring them to Jesus? They were bringing the ill, they were bringing the demon-possessed to Jesus so that they could find healing. We all know people that need restoration. We all know people that need forgiveness. They need hope. They need healing. They need transformation. But most of all, they need to be saved. They need to be saved from their sin. They need a relationship with the God who created them and loves them and forgives them. And it is our job, church, it is your job to bring those people to Jesus. It is your job to share the good news of Jesus with this world that so desperately needs it. Can you imagine if you didn't have Jesus? Can you imagine those times in your life when you were at your wits end, you were at the end of your rope, you had no hope at all except for in Christ. Now imagine you didn't have that. There were people in this world living just like that in this very moment. And so, church, let's be the people who bring our broken to Jesus. We should be a place that welcomes those that are broken. We should be a place where broken people come here and they're like, I'm at home. Because they can find forgiveness in Christ. And so how do we be the church? How do we display the kingdom this week? Well, one, we go to Jesus with our brokenness. We are the church, which means we have been adopted into Jesus' family, so there is no condemnation for us. Don't feel guilt. Don't feel shame before Jesus. Some of you right now feel shame because of the fact that you feel shame before Jesus. It's real. He delights in you. He is welcoming you to himself. Go to Jesus with our brokenness. And the second thing, bring others to Christ, to Jesus, so that they can be healed. It's our mission. We have been invited 
to be a part of this mission, to see our city transformed by the hands of Jesus. But it is our job to go, to tell, to bring them to Jesus. Let's pray.